Well, if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to go ahead and have you open up to Colossians chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can use a pew Bible in front of you, and that's found on page 1043. Uh, We're going to be looking this morning at a prayer that Paul, the author, has for the church, specifically for their spiritual growth. And so I think it's fair for us to ask this question right now, and I just want you to actually answer this in your head. What do you believe brings about true growth in your life? Just take a moment to to answer that. What do you believe brings true and meaningful growth in your life? Because here's the deal. I know all of us want to grow. It's built into us. I mean, physically, babies grow into children, into adults, and to the chagrin of many people, In this room, even as our bodies start to shrink, our noses and ears keep growing. It's just there. But we also want to grow personally and relationally. I mean, as we grow into adulthood, we want to learn how do we handle all the curveballs that life throws at us? How do we relate better with other people? How do we fight for this subjective peace when we're so tormented on the inside. It's built into us to want to grow through these things, which is why it should be no surprise that we hear a lot of voices trying to give us answers, clamoring with their own message. I mean, we live in a time where uh, we have the opportunity for exercise. So there are whole communities built around exercise and that if you just wake up and do this, well, then this is the first domino that everything in your life will, will kind of follow. So you got to do this. Or maybe it's productivity, right? Get these systems into place and then life will fall into place. Maybe it's trying to deal with your own emotions. And so we've got all of these self-help books. Uh, We've got meditation for you to help silence these voices of shame and guilt. Yet all of these kind of reach their end. So what happens when we're sick and we can't exercise or we have a child and we're out of it for a while? What happens when we start the Whole30 diet and stop it for the 30th time? What happens when we didn't get everything checked off? This kind of thinking, it's, I think, just important to see right off that that's only as far as it's going to be able to take you. Once you have the tools of productivity, it's not going to be able to help you beyond that. And so messages masquerade around as truth and wisdom. And they sound really good up front until they don't, until they leave us no better than they found us. And this is, you know, where our instincts take us because we want our, you know, our teeth to be able to bite into something practical, right? Something that we can do. And so it shouldn't surprise us that some of this same thinking comes into the church. Well, in order for me to feel significant enough, I should have these kinds of gifts, right? Or I should make myself busy with all of these church kind of events. Or maybe, you know, it's the self-discipline. Once I stop doing this and I start doing that, well then, okay, then peace will come. You know, the, the, the problem with all of this is ourselves. <laughs> Wherever we go, there we are. And we quickly face our weakness, our inconsistency. So we all want this change But I think we have to kind of come back to this question. What do you believe is going to bring about real change in your life? Because we can't do nothing, right? We know we have to do something. What brings about real change, real growth in your life? And I think Paul's prayer 
to the Colossian church that we're going to go through, it has something to say about this. This church had experienced true growth, yet that true growth was threatened because of a false message. So Paul, in his prayers, he has this one point, this one idea that is going to be our idea this morning. And it's that true growth only comes from the true gospel. True growth only comes from the true gospel. And we first see that in our first verses, verses 3 through 8. Paul gives thanks. He thanks God for this true gospel growth. And in verses 9 through 14, he asks God for more of the same. So that's going to be our points this morning. First of all, uh, that we thank God. And then secondly, ask God for more when it comes to this true gospel and true growth. And as we come into this, I, I just want to speak to a couple groups already. Uh, if you're a non-Christian this morning, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Just maybe consider how this message differs from what you've heard. Differs from what you might believe about true change, true growth. If you're a Christian this morning and you just feel weak and you're burdened by your own failures, your own inconsistencies, well, I want you to ask the same question. What's the source of your true growth? And one more group, if you're a Christian this morning who's feeling pretty satisfied about all the things that you're doing in church to make it look like you're a good Christian, and that's your primary hope, well, I want to ask you the same thing. What do you believe actually brings about true growth? So let's go ahead and get in. Let's read through verses 3 through 8 as we get into this first point that we thank God for this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about the, this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Well, Paul, Paul is really overflowing with a sincere thankfulness here. Like it says that we always thank God since they heard this good report, which came from Epaphras. And he actually doesn't waste any time getting into what's so encouraging about their growth. We see that in verse 4, they heard about their faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. So already, he's saying this is what truth, true growth is. Faith, love, and hope. And I think we get some clues as to why this actually tells us the kind of growth we should be going for, that it is true growth. You know, first is just Paul's, he's very thankful about it. He wasn't thankful for other things in their life. This rose to the top. I think that's for a reason. It reflects the message that they heard. I think another clue that this is important, this is what true growth in the Christian life is, well, is that it, Paul says this to multiple churches, right? We've heard this. It might ring a bell that last week we heard about faith, love, and endurance, which is a form of hope. And so 
all of these churches are bearing the same fruit, even though they might be in different situations. So that's a clue that maybe this is true growth that we should be looking for. But I think maybe most strongly, this is true growth because it comes from the true gospel. You can see that in verse 5. It says that because you have already heard about this hope and the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So right away, Paul immediately connects this, this true growth to the true gospel. And for us who have been around, we might think, yeah, we, we've heard that. But this was a very pressing message that Paul needed to bring into the life of the Colossian church. He did not waste time. Why did he connect these so quickly and so early? Well, it might help to, to hear a little bit of context. You know, Epaphras, the church planter, the one who had shared the word of God with his church, took a trip to go see Paul in Rome to give them an update. We heard about some of the update, how Paul was encouraged. But we hear another update that was concerning. It was concerning enough for Epaphras to travel a thousand miles to go see Paul and talk to him about this. And what would be so concerning that he would travel that far for a church that he loves this much? Well, that that true gospel message was under threat. And when the message changed, so did the, the definition of growth. So we see in chapter two, we hear just a little bit more of this. When we, uh, when we hear in particular that there is a philosophy that's being promoted as, as wisdom. It looks good. It sounds good until you see how vain it is. Outwardly, it looks like we're worshiping God, but it's actually self-worship because it's going beyond the gospel. It's going beyond the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, they're moving on to uh, self-discipline and really mystic experiences. So, so if you're a true Christian, if you really love the Lord in this church, well, then you're, having these, you're delighting in worshiping these angels and getting caught up to these heavenly realms. Oh, you, you must really love Jesus. You must be a true Christian. Well, if, if you're keeping all of these Sabbath days, if you're keeping uh, the new moon festivals, if you're following the rules of the world that says don't touch this and don't touch that, oh, well, the, you've got it together. You've got it together. But this was a serious threat to the gospel and to growth because actually, again, when you think about it, this kind of gospel can only give you the tools and kind to fight for that. So here's what I mean. So if your growth is reliant upon spiritual experiences, well, what does that mean if, about your spiritual experiences? What happens if they slow down? What happens if they're not as extreme? I mean, we've got to keep upping the ante, right? That's the nature of growth. We've got to have more. That's going to take you nowhere when Paul is trying to tell him, no, 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 you've got something so much better. You are now in Christ. That's way more glorious than these spiritual experiences. And same thing about obedience, or this, this extreme sense of self-discipline. It's like, well, if all this is going to do is you're going to have to keep doing more and more, more right and right, and that's going to be really defeating because there you are. And so Epaphras travels a thousand miles because this is a serious threat. 
that the change in this gospel message, saying Jesus and, actually changes even what we define as growth. And it is a facade. It's no good. It leaves you no better. And so Paul wastes no time here connecting these ideas to the church, that their true growth of faith, love, and hope come from this true message, which is why I think this, this actually starts in really sincere thanksgiving. You know, Paul doesn't come out strong. He starts in thanksgiving because he, know, he knows God has started this work. He has seen true fruit produced by the true gospel. And he also knows that by connecting these dots, this is one of the ways that we rehearse the truth of the gospel in our lives. And so this morning, I think we have to think a little bit about what it is to be thankful, to be a thankful people. You know, often it's hard to be thankful because our circumstances don't allow it. And maybe we think, oh, uh, we can be thankful uh, because I'm making the best of this. Right? I'm turning lemons into lemonade. So I'm just going to positive think my way through this. No, Paul here gives us a much more stable, a much shorter vision for thanksgiving. That it is God who does this work. And that the more he thanks, the more he rehearses. And I think that's the same for us as a church as well. It might be a question for you to think about. How much thanksgiving, sincere thanksgiving, has been produced in you recently? Adding this as a list, again, if, if you're the super thankful person, that doesn't make you any more or less in Christ. But when we know the gospel, doesn't it naturally lead to this? I, I think it does. So Paul begins with this thanksgiving because it's God's work. He rehearses the gospel. And so actually, I think that'd be good for us to do here for a moment. I'm actually just going to slow down a little bit and think about what are the implications of this gospel to this church. We're just going to simmer here for a moment. So one of the first things that we see here is that this gospel is this word of, of truth. The gospel is the word of truth. You can't actually like unhitch these. You don't have a gospel without words. You don't have a gospel without truth. And Paul wanted to highlight this because there was a false gospel that started to be taught. But he came back to know this is the true gospel. This is why God has always worked through his word. There's power in it, but it also defines it. I mean, we often try to intuit our way to God, figure him out on our own. We're not good at that. We're really bad at that. So God gives us words to know him and how we can be redeemed to him. And our God, three in one, has always chosen to work through his word. Father, Son, and Spirit. We see this in our passage. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have heard of your faith in Jesus. And then he ends the passage by saying, and, and he, Epaphras, has told us about your love in the Spirit. God in three is at work here. Through the word. I'm just going to hang out for a minute and, and try, try and think about why that's so important. So at creation, by God's word, everything came to be. So we know there's power. We know the God's word alone has the power to do this. But then a big, big problem came in when sin came in. It rejected the true light for own wisdom and brought back, brought on themselves the penalty of death. 
So there was really a problem of presence and penalty here. God can no longer dwell with his, holy pe- with his people because they were unholy. And at some point, a penalty had to be paid. So if you can imagine this, here's our life here on earth, God existing in heaven, and there is this line between us called sin. And so if we do not have access to hear from this God, what do we have? Well, I think we have our own wisdom, our own feelings to try and explain what's right. I think we maybe have physical things in earth to point out, like, like maybe like just like science, put our hope in that, uh, that, that God is in the, in the physical. And of course, then that works its way out into how we think about making ourselves better. Like we want to go to our own intuitions to make us better. We want to look to whatever help there is in the physical world to, to make us better, to, to grow. But the problem is that, that is, it's like the blind leading the blind. To where? To just more death. Nothing has been done about the penalty. Nothing has been done to actually bring true light to people who are wanting to actually grow. It's hidden from them. So how does God break through this line? Well, by, by his word. He gives us God's people's promises. And these words help define even who God is and how a holy people should live. These words define redemption. And without these words, we're helpless. We don't have anything. And then at the right time in history, God's word, as in the person, came on and took on flesh. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, broke through that line. He came down to live the life that we didn't live. He lived wisely. He understood God's will fully. And that led him to death on a cross because there had to be a penalty for our sin paid somewhere. And so Jesus, the eternal son, took on that penalty for sin, the true word, and then rose to be in heaven. And now God's spirit impresses that word on our heart. God's spirit helps our heart understand that word. God's spirit, who spoke through the prophets, reveal the way and the gospel and the goodness of God. And this this was a big deal to the church then. We just try and think about that really practically because there was this weird comparison thing happening in the church, like based on their behavior. Yet it was the word received that gave them true life. The word, I think, is how I know is how God has always worked through human history and will continue to work through the rest of history. So it makes sense that the kind of fruit it produces is not competition, not discontentness, not comparison, oh, but life and freedom. We actually see, again, in verse 3, what does it produce? A faith in Jesus. A faith in the one who brings true light. It produces love. I mean, after all, like anyone who actually listens to God but doesn't love, have they listened to God? It produces love. And even more, it produces a hope. A hope that in the final day, we, we have our seat. The Lord has done the work to save us and to bring us to that day. 
So there aren't tricks in this. The Colossian church was not better than any other church. That's why, in part, Paul pointed to the, how all the churches were growing globally because of this message. Henson, we are not different than other churches that have received the gospel. It's the gospel that's bearing fruit here in other churches. And so at the end of our passage, as, God, as Paul's meditating on this, this gospel that comes through the word, through the power of our triune God, he shifts to the, from the message to the messenger and just says, you learned this from Epaphras. This is where all of your growth came from, was by hearing the word. And he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the spirit. Epaphras wants them to grow in Christ. We actually know that from the very end. He's laboring in this, but it's all coming through the word. He might've fed them. We don't see that. He brought them life through the word. He might have brought people in his home. We don't know that. He's godly, so I'm sure he did. But we see life came from hearing the word. So it's this picture that causes Paul to just overflow, overflow in thanksgiving. And maybe we should think here about what does this have to say about growth in our lives and what we believe true and real growth comes from. Again, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian this morning, I want you to maybe compare this message to the message you're hearing about what's going to bring you freedom, peace within, growth. What's different about the message you're hearing out there and the message you've just heard and hear? You know, I don't know, maybe you, I just want to say and acknowledge that maybe this is a confusing message because you've heard uh, maybe a different gospel preached about Christians that you think you've got to get yourself right first. Uh, or you've seen Christians talk about uh, the gospel in a really burdensome way. If so, sorry, we, we really are a, f- a flawed people figuring it out and the Lord's going to help us get there. But I want you to hear very clearly that the message is not about what you're going to be able to do. It's about what's been done for you in Christ Jesus. So just work this out. If you keep following these voices for self-improvement, where's that going to lead you in life? Where's that going to take you at the end of your life? And how could this be good news when I'm telling you this morning? I, I mean, I really want you to consider this. You can talk to me after service about this. You can talk to really anyone else you see in this building, other Christians, and they would be happy to talk more about this good news. Uh, to, to Christians here in the room, I'm just going to say it's, it's easy to drift, right? Um, you know, I used to have a golf swing. Uh, I used to golf a lot. I don't anymore. And it wouldn't take much for just a little bad habit to get in my swing to send the ball flying way over there. <laughs> it was really frustrating. We can drift. We can drift in the way we receive and hear the gospel. It's really easy to drift in. Well, I think if, you know, if I do these things, if I have this gift in the church, well, I think maybe more people will recognize me as, as, a, as a real Christian. No, 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 no. That's a drift. The good news is that you are in Christ. Maybe your drift this morning is you're thinking, well, I just wasn't as disciplined. I didn't do everything I wanted to do on my day off to spend time with the Lord. Um, therefore, you are experiencing lots of condemnation right now. No, no. Like, so that's a drift. 
That's a drift. We're hanging on to identity in Christ. Maybe some of you are just dealing with this really cruel voice inside of you that just loves to remember all the things you've done wrong, loves to highlight how you're unlovable, loves to make you feel unworthy. When we give into that voice, which I'm very sympathetic to, it's a drift, as though we can pull ourselves out of it. Oh, Christ has brought freedom. He's brought presence because he's paid for the penalty. And so I just want to encourage us as a church to fight against the drift in our lives and in those lives around us. And we fight specifically to hold on to the gospel, to grow in faith, to grow in love, and to hold on to the hope of that our place is in heaven. This was important enough for Epaphras to travel a thousand miles. I think it's really important for us to, to think about this in our lives and our schedules. It's worth the effort. The final note I just want to make about drift is uh, we can drift really easily in our services, right? It's really easy to want to do, I don't know, like what works. It's really easy to, um, to, to be innovative, right? To see new things that are out there, new programs, new approaches. Uh, you know, it's really easy, like in a lot of churches, right? There's a lot of like lights and sounds pretty loud. Like understand how they got there. They thought, oh, I want to help these unbelievers see Christ in a different light. Yet it's not the sound and lights that help see Christ in a different light. It's the lives of his people. And so we are going to keep trying to be simple and simply in God's word in our services. Uh, you've heard us say this, so I won't spend a lot of time into this, but it's, it's why we start our sermon planning series uh, or planning our services by planning the sermons. We actually rotate through all the genres of scripture every two years so that you're hearing from the totality of God's word. It's why we actually take that, you know, that moment of silence or reflection, whatever it is that Sunday, to actually silence ourselves from those distractions to help hear from the word of God. It's why we have these like three anchor points in our services. We have a call to worship. We hear from God's word first. We hear a scripture reading from the opposing testament of the sermon so that we hear from God's word and see the continuity between all of the God's word. And then we hear a sermon because this is the diet that gives spiritual growth. And so help, help us. If you see us drift, don't let us drift. And also do your part to come to services ready to hear, ready to receive God's word. Well, it's this idea that it's God's, it's the true gospel that gives us true growth that transitions, transitions us to the next section. You know, he just thanked God for the growth that he's seen but now he wants to pray more of the same, actually. Praise that he would keep the Colossian church in this true message for true change. So let's move into our second point, which is simply ask for more. Would you listen as I read verses 9 through 15? For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. 
We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and delight. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. I hope reading this passage is maybe ringing a few bells from the passage we just heard. I mean, so in verse 6, we've got, since the day you heard. Verse 9, since the day we heard. Verse 3, thank. Verse 12, giving thanks. Verse 3, always. Verse 9, always uh, not stopped. Verse 3, when we pray for you. Verse 9, praying for you. Verse 6, understood. Verse 9 through 10, knowledge. Verse 6, bearing fruit and growing. Verse 10, bearing fruit and growing. I'm not telling you this, you remember every one of those, but I'm making the point that Paul is asking for more of the same. He's just developing the idea more. I mean, this actually finds its truth in, I think, one of Paul's main arguments in Colossians. This very passage ends with Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So again, we see it's more the same, that we don't graduate on to a new gospel message, that as we sang earlier, there is one gospel for all eternity. It is that gospel that we live in that gets us to the final day. And so he talks a little bit more about the true change, What is this change that comes from this gospel? How does he work it out? Well, we see that in verses 9 through 10. For this reason, we haven't stopped. Uh, Since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Here's his ask. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding. So again, he's pointing to the source of this change, being filled, again, passive, receiving God's will that is connected to the word of truth, that we keep going back to that word of truth. You know, we need to keep going back to that, right? Like, think about what dating or marriage relationship is going to work going on one date. I don't think it's going to fly. We need to grow and increase our knowledge of the person we love. What about, you know, uh, you know we got a growing, growing high school boy. They eat a lot. What if they just get their one meal on Sunday? Ah, like, no, that doesn't fill them. That does not give them the know-how or the, or the strength for growth. So the source of this growth is being filled with the knowledge of his will. And this will, just to be clear, it's not like, you know, should you get married or not? What job should you get? No, this is knowledge of God's will for redemption, how he's saving you and how he's working out through all human history, which then gives you wisdom and spiritual understanding. This, of course, is in contrast to the really kind of good-looking but false wisdom that the the Colossian church was adding to the gospel. This is in contrast to the unspiritual acts they had. They thought they were having these big spiritual experiences in worship, seeing these heavenly realms, yet uh, they were not growing in love or faith. No, no, no. This is what growth looks like. Wisdom, knowing how and learning how to love 
people well. As we talked about in the intro, I think we all want to grow. I think we all want to learn to love people more. I think we all want to learn how to find peace internally. Well, we're seeing here growth comes from being filled with knowledge of God, of God's will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what his word gives us as we navigate this life. We're no longer the blind leading the blind, but we have the light of God to reveal this to us. You know, I I heard once that we are the sum of the five people, the five voices we hear the most. I don't know. Think about it. Like sometimes I'll take on other people's mannerisms (laughs) because I'm around them a lot. So, so maybe what are the voices that get the most room in your life? Are these the voices that are filling you with the knowledge of God? Is it God's knowledge that is forming you? Just something to think about. Well, what is the point of being filled? Well, we see in verse 10 that it is walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And now we can actually do this, right? Because God has told us how. Through the gospel and also how to fulfill the, the gospel of love in obedience to uh, loving one another, growing in faith, and we eventually start to become like God. What a miracle. We start to become like God. And we start to walk in a way that's worthy of him, more pleasing. It is not based on how you feel, what you got crossed off the list today, if you stuck with Whole30 this time, no, no, this is based on God's work to make you pleasing and to reveal himself to us. You know, it should sound familiar to the prayer we had last week as well. You know, if you remember, the prayer is that we would be found worthy. I think this is another universal thing that shows us what is growth? What is growth in the Lord? But I think if we're honest, this is growth. Maybe why does this make us feel so bad? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we know some of the ways that we fall short. Why does this make us feel bad? Well, I wonder if maybe we define it wrong or not fully. Or again, there's like this internal standard that's louder than, than God's standard, God's voice in your life. It's a high calling to walk worthy. It's a very high calling Paul helps us to work this out and understand what it is in the next verses. And you'll see there are four different things he tells us, and your clue is to look for words that end with I-N-G. <laughs> that we'd be bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened and giving thanks. The very first thing he lists is bearing fruit. You know, it's what growing people do. We bear fruit. We have energy to do things. And the kind of growth is right directly tied to what we are fed. I had someone tell me once that coffee grinds, grounds, used coffee grounds, helped plants grow. So I put them on a bunch of plants. Turns out it only helps some plants grow. I killed a bunch of plants. It's a renewable resource. It's it's what it is. It's okay. Um, It matters what we're being filled with that leads to the fruit that we bear. And so... This is why it matters. This is what it looks like to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, walking in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. God's word empowers and defines what good works are. So you may have an answer to this question I'm about to ask you because I've said it many times in the sermon. 
that when you ask yourself what maturity is, what comes to mind? When you think about bearing fruit, what comes to mind? I think this passage is wanting us to grow from the true gospel and faith and love and hope. And that affects everything else in our life. The next ing word is growing in the knowledge of God. Said this, right? We not like having deja vu. Said this earlier. Yes, said this earlier. That actually, the more God's word fills us, the more we grow in understanding and craving God's word. This is not a one and done. <laughs> it's not a one and done. Even when we reach eternity, we will always be feeding on God and His word. You know. So we think, how can we grow? How can we enjoy God? And maybe a better question is, how can we keep from getting distracted by some of these earthly philosophies that, that are easy for us to sink our teeth in, but really they just want to sink their teeth into us? What does it look like to shed those and to keep pursuing the knowledge, the will of God? So we do a lot of Bible studies. This is good. I don't want you to pretend that because you do a lot of Bible studies, you're good. I want you to do Bible studies because this is God's word that you feed on. That we're going to continue growing in the knowledge of the Lord, just like we want to get to know someone we're going to marry. Just like, just like that, we want to keep coming to know him. So coming to church, is this just a thing you do to check off? I think most of us know it's a lot more than that. But I think a litmus test is, do we come ready to receive? Do we want to receive? I think this is part of what being filled with the Lord is, is that he begins to affect our desires. Yeah, I still want to acknowledge that when we start to list these things out, they can feel like a burden. Because again, our flesh is in us to want to improve ourselves. And it takes these things and makes them feel like a burden. Something for you to fail at. You're too inconsistent. Are you going to fail this like you fail other, every other habit? Well, fortunately, Paul's not done. And the next ing word is being strengthened. That we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance. So th this really good news here, guys, is that all power means all power. This is, the all, this is the power that brought this universe into being, that raised Christ from the dead, and God is empowering us as we battle this flesh to, to grow. And it's interesting how he applies this power, right? Maybe we think it would be the, like it would make everything all good now. But actually, it's so that we would have great endurance and patience. I think for some of this, this is important for us to hear. This doesn't make life easy. I wish it would take away a lot of the pain. But like Christ, we endure through the pain and are patient. You know, this idea of great endurance, go to a couple of mental images here, is like, uh, you know, most, the most of something you could have. So like picture, you know, in these eating contests, like places at a, at a store where like, if you can eat this 96-inch steak and all this food, we'll give it to you for free. And they bring out this big platter and like, this is more of anything we should ever put in ourselves. We should ever eat. And they sit it down. And it's like, clunk, like it's just dense. It's weighty. Well, that's the kind of endurance it's talking about. It's weighty. It's weighty. That these other things in life will kind of start to bounce off of it. Because God strengthens us for a weighty endurance and a patience. This implies that there's something we're waiting for and we're going to get there. 
to run with food analogies, uh, at Portland, we have a culture of waiting in line for food. It's really weird to people when they come visit us until they have the food. And they're like, oh, I get it. It's worth the wait. God's power strengthens us to remember that it's, it's worth the wait. And listen, this is growth. This is growth. When we endure difficult things and we keep reminding ourselves that it is worth the wait. We all know that it's tough to endure. We feel weak. We don't feel actually very patient. This idea of God's power is maybe we don't, we don't feel it like the way I'm, I'm talking about right now, which is why I think he has one more ING word that we have to land on that describes this growing life based on a true message. It's verse 12 through 14, and it's giving joyfully, giving thanks to the Father. You know, this is the opposite of self-worship. This is the opposite of self-sufficiency, is that we would grow in joyfully thanking the Lord, maybe even particularly because we see all of our weaknesses, because we know he has done what we cannot do. Notice all like the past tense, it is finished kind of words that follow here. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and light. We heard earlier that we have no light if God, doesn't, if God isn't our light. Well, listen, he has brought out his spotlight and shown it right on you through the gospel, through this message, and it's, it's done. And he says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We're no longer the blind leading the blind. We're not stuck in our blindness. He's actually brought us fully into the light right now and he has brought us into a really sweet place. He brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Can you be in any more security? Can you be in a place of any more love than this? You know, we often see this version of who we want to be. Yet we find the problem is, there we are. So we fail. But listen, we have a vision here of where we're going to be and who we're going to be. And the beautiful noise, news is that, and there you will be. Because the God will bring you to that point, And you will know this true and good life. So he ends that, that this life is found in one place, being in Christ. We're in the Sundom, in his, in his kingdom, and we see that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's, that's, that's for good. It's for the sins that haunt you. It's for the sins you've sinned today, tomorrow, next week. We keep holding back on to Christ. Doesn't mean the sin leaves. Wish it did. But it does mean we push further and deeper into Christ and that it's sure and that it's steady. So what does it mean to walk worthy? Well, it means to be in Christ. Think about even the first verses we read. He was encouraged by their faith in Christ. It's not just Christ as an object of the faith, but like, no, their faith that they're in Christ and all that Christ brings and they reflect the love of Christ and the Spirit. And that through Christ, they're going to make it to that final day in heaven. 
So this, this verse for me um, was the verse that God used to wake me up to understand how to live in the gospel. I was all about the idea of walking worthy of the Lord, yet it was such a burden. Um, I knew all the good that I wanted to do and would just always fall short. I knew God was God, so I wasn't going anywhere else. I was going to keep trying to follow him, yet I was just always faced with my sin. And because I put on my shoulders, walking worthy, uh, you know, it made me hide sin. I was too ashamed, right? Because I, I know God knows, but this, this would make me not worthy in other people's eyes. I was, believe it or not, I was pretty uptight because <laughs> I was all about my holiness and my works. And one summer, I was just reading through Colossians, and what God used to wake me up is all of a sudden I realized, this, this is done. This is done in Christ, that he's rescued me. That's done. They put, transferred me into the kingdom of the son that he loves. It's done. And that I'm going to keep sinning, but I am redeemed in Christ. It's done. And it's not an overstatement that I changed fundamentally that summer. I was way more free to just love people instead of be concerned about what I was doing right or wrong. My faith was way more free to find its rest in Christ since I wasn't finding it in myself anymore. And I was definitely free to look forward to the final day. It's really interesting to see then how that gave me wisdom being able to talk to people. I actually had the room to listen to them for once. It's kind of interesting how it helped me to love people. I had the space to love people because I understood God's love for me. Growth in the Christian life is about growing in faith, love, and hope in the only gospel message. So I think this is a call for us this morning to hold on to this essential message together. Maybe you are right now like I was, just plagued and burdened because you want to be worthy. Well, let's fight that you be found in Christ in all the ways possible. You can find peace. Maybe this morning you are feeling pretty good about yourself because you've done all the things right. And so therefore, you have more peace because you did all the things right. Uh, there's something to that. It's, that's okay when that happens, yet it's not okay when that happens when that turns into pride. I'm doing this right. Got this together. No, we're called to come back to this gospel message and hold on to everything in Christ. And I think this is also a, a call for us to, to pray. Right? I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up in this sermon. I mean, since Paul heard, he never stopped giving thanks. And he actually never stopped praying continually for them. What does this mean? I don't think that like every single thought Paul had was doing this. Yet it was on his mind. Couldn't get away from it. It was on his mind. And so this didn't come from him wanting to do the right thing or check something off a list or be a super apostle. No, this came out of his love for the Lord and his love for that church. And so as we think about what it is to pray for one another, let's start there. Let's start for love, with love for the Lord and for one another. See how that affects our motivations. Maybe this week... Uh, 
I think it's also good to take really practical steps. This sounds like very, I don't know, boxy. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, very unfree. But I've met so many people who have benefited by just setting a 10-minute timer and saying, I'm going to pray for this whole 10 minutes. It kind of makes them focus. So I, maybe think about it this week. Like how in your schedule, where do you want to try and build in some time to overflow into thanksgiving and prayer for this church? Uh, tonight, you know, we're going to have our prayer service. We're kicking it back into the gear for this fall. And as I talk about that, I think some of you internally, you maybe roll your eyes a little bit. That's okay. Um, you know, we're a church that tried to not do a bunch of things, to have a lot of, to not have a lot of programs so that we can give ourselves to, to what's important. I think there's just a reason we try to prioritize praying together as a church. It's not another list that makes you better or worse, in or out. It feels like just a natural response. I don't know. There's a lot of things we could do as a church. It seems like prayer would be one that I think would be pretty high up on our list. So I just I want to ask you like this fall to consider what it would be to build this into your schedule. There's a lot of things. There's going to be this is when everything crowds itself into our schedule, right? And we're like, what just happened? Let's try and think about, can we prioritize this and, and pray together as a church? Well, we started with a question, what is true growth? What do you believe is going to give you true growth? Paul is very, very clear that true growth only comes from the true gospel. And there's going to be a lot of messages hitting you all the time. They're going to be easy to sink your teeth into, but don't let them sink their teeth into you. And let's take our, our cues from the Apostle Paul here. You know, it doesn't take a super apostle to do what Paul was doing, to preach the gospel, to pray for people, to send them notes and letters. I mean, you don't need a cape to do that, y'all. We're all found in Christ. We all have the same spirit that empowers us. So maybe it's actually better to say we actually do all have a cape. <laughs> God empowers us to do this work, to build one another up in Christ until we get to that final day and we see him face to face. So this week, let's try and thank God for the good work he's done in our lives. Let's ask him for more. Let's take a moment right now just to silently pray in your heart and consider, are there other messages you've been listening to that are affecting your growth? Oh Lord, we, we thank you for your gospel. I thank you for all the faces that I look out this morning and I see all the genuine, sincere growth you are giving them. Lord, I'm thankful for the evidences of growth and faith, of, of mutual love for one another, of people hoping, setting their hope in the final day over the struggles of this life. Lord, I praise you for the ways that I see people walking in a manner worthy of you, not doing everything but perfectly, but trusting you. Lord, we, we do, we ask for more. Lord, we ask that you would give us more clarity on your gospel and how that gives us life. Help us to know your word of truth. Fill us with the knowledge of your will so, Lord, we may live a life of wisdom, Lord, in spiritual growth. God, we, we pray this all 
the name of Jesus, amen.